Part two, a church that loves. Stay on this theme uh, the next few weeks. Uh, soon we'll consider the sanctity of human life that's coming up later in, in January. And so a few things just as we get out the gate uh, in January of 22, uh, a church that loves just a short little series here, uh, topical uh, before we settle down uh, in February and beyond. Okay, I don't know those of you who analyze the sermon outline, maybe you notice something a little bit different today. Um, the first blank on every point is, uh, is blank, or the first word is where the blank is. And they're all going to be verbs. Love is active. All right? And so I hope that you're not just sitting here ready to kind of sponge in some information and, and um, okay, I learned something. I hope that the goal is that we'll be ready to go and be active. Now, we'll talk about some adjectives. You heard some adjectives uh, in here about what love is. But uh, love ultimately should lead us to action. And so we, uh, we desire that as we go along. Uh, I want to say a little bit at the very beginning uh, about the context of 1 Corinthians. Love focuses on unity. Paul wrote the letter to the Corinthians, uh, the first one that we see I want to take you back to just the very first chapter so you get the idea of what Paul was talking about. Uh, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you. He's writing because there were divisions among them. This is a huge theme that kind of goes throughout 1 Corinthians where there are divisions among these believers in Corinth. All right? He wants them to be of the same mind. And the same judgment. And so just a few verses before where we were in uh, chapter 12, it says this. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. All right, so, so God has in mind unity for his church, for his people. And 1 Corinthians isn't the only place that we see this. Uh, we spent over the last uh, year or so quite a bit of time in the letter to the Ephesians. And we see uh, here a reminder uh, that part of walking with the Lord is that we would bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And so when we say that love focuses on unity, uh, we see that very directly there. We see it in a couple other places. I say all this in our first point today, just to give you some context. This is not just something that, that Paul was had, had a problem with somebody and wanted them to tell him how right he was or anything like that. The believers were divided. They had lots of different sins and things that they were doing that were dividing them. And it's a call for the, the people of God to be together, the church of Jesus Christ to be unified. All right, so uh, what is the role of love in that? We'll, we'll see that. But we want to know from the very beginning that a church that loves will focus on unity. Okay? Second, today... We'll just keep it going right away. Uh, you'll see the next couple of verses uh, there, uh, 23 and 24. And we'll find out in this that love incorporates weaknesses. All right? It incorporates weaknesses. We see uh, parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which more presentable parts do not require. Okay, so 
here is a test uh, of how we view uh, love. You want, a, you want a little bit of a test of how loving of a person or how loving of a group of people uh, we might happen to be. Then I think one of the challenges is what do we think and how do we incorporate people who maybe in our own estimation have less to offer than others? What about the homeless? What about victims? What about those in our society who are vulnerable or those who have even been hurt in local churches? What about the weakest? How do we view younger children? What about those living in nations where there's extreme poverty or our fellow believers around the world who don't have a whole lot of material possessions and they live in terrible government oppression? That's the kind of situation that these verses, they make us consider. See, it's easy if you walk into a church like ours that gathers. A lot of churches are gathering around Akron, Ohio this morning or in Summit County, United States and and around the world. A lot of churches are gathering to worship Jesus on this day. And it's often very easy to see when you go to a public gathering who the, the talented people are. It's also fairly easy to see, uh, in, in some senses, what churches in a region do what things well. You might have that church has a really good reputation for their counseling, or their preaching is really, really solid. Or man, they do that awesome thing at this time of year, and they have this great outreach, and they minister to addiction, and they have all this. And it's a lot of times we know this about different churches. We know that about different believers. But what does this say? What does Paul say about the people who stand out? What does he say about the people or the parts of the body that don't get much attention? Are they crushed? Are they to be put away? No. They're honored. That's what it says. Love in the body of Christ reaches out and incorporates perceived weakness. We embrace it because we're one body. I'm not going to get too graphic today, but if you think about the analogy here as to a human body, in the human body, the parts that we keep covered often have essential functions. That's the analogy that Paul is going for. Some of the parts of the body are less presentable, and so we treat them with greater modesty, but it doesn't mean that they don't have function. Paul's arguing the opposite, that they do stand out And they do help. So God doesn't just create a bunch of talented or highly functioning people or people with charismatic gifts and and can get a whole lot of stuff done and, and make an organization look really good and then just tell all those people to put up with everybody else. That's not what God says at all. No, those who are seemingly don't bring a whole lot in a human sense are, they're not worthless. They do so much to bring the body together. Ask almost any pastor And he'll tell you that some of his most influential and faithful members of the church get very little attention at all, and they're just fine with that. That's the body of Christ. There are people whose gifts will be noticed. There are people whose gifts will not be noticed. And all are essential to the functioning of the body of Christ. Just because a gift isn't visible doesn't mean it's not important. A church that loves embraces and incorporates 
perceived weakness. Okay. It also recognizes variety. All right, we'll see that in verses 27 to 28. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and all and, and various kinds of tongues. Our society, you think about the way our culture is, it allows you, if you went from this place, it allows you to select the, the information that you get. And it is very possible that between now and next Sunday, that the information that you take in would be information that only you are interested in listening to. Okay, I, I found a study. I didn't invest a whole lot of time of, of my life and energy in researching this study. But in this study, they, they analyzed 100 million pieces of information on social media. And they found, drumroll, big surprise, that social media, participating in social media, encourages like-minded thinking. Can you believe that? Right, that if you open up an article, that you're going to end up seeing more articles like that. <laughs> All right, uh, the word, uh, another phrase for this is the echo chamber, right, where you just go live in your own echo chamber and all you listen to are voices that tell you everything that you already agree with. That's not very conducive to love because what happens is when we get into one line of thinking, it actually can tend toward extremism. It's very dangerous in that sense when all we're doing is listening to one line of thinking. But it also, it doesn't help us to love people who think differently than we do. And, and what we find here in the body of Christ is that there are people that have different gifts. There are people who have different abilities and they're going to see the Christian faith in the present tense or historically in context, they're gonna, we're going to see things differently. We may see our role or our function differently. We may have some some great spirit in our discussions about how to strategize and, and what we're going to do. But if we're only thinking one way because we're only conditioned to, to one way, then we, we deny that variety. And that's, Paul kind of calls this out in 29. Are all apostles, is everybody the same? No. A loving church recognizes this kind of variety. So, yes, this is an analogy to the human body, but this is also uh, spiritual truth. Uh, verse 27, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So, yes, we are believers individually in relation to Jesus. I'm so glad to remind you of this, that if you are saved from your sins by trusting in Jesus Christ for your forgiveness... That you're not saved just to yourself so you can go live your own existence. You're saved into the body. A lot of people just want to live their own faith and have their own way and their own thing. God wants us to have the blessing of other believers around us, shaping us and forming us and encouraging us. And not just in a local church such as ours, but as we think about being connected to other Bible-believing churches in our area, can we speak well of them? Do we see their function? Do we see the strengths that they bring 
uh, and the things that they can do that we never could. We're connected. And what is this? Some common interest of wanting to, to help people? And No, we're, we're connected by the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Colossians 1, 18. I just put the first part of the verse up here. He is the head of the body, the church. That's Jesus. He's the head of it. So the, the body, while it's a figurative illustration here in 1 Corinthians about, uh, about a human body and in, in, in the body of Christ, it is a spiritual truth that we are a part of the body and being a part of that body is knowing that there are going to be different perspectives, approaches, giftings. Uh, and, and listen, if you're wondering what's going on, know that it's God's plan. Verse 28, God has appointed in the church. We don't appoint these people. We don't gift ourselves or anybody else. God does that. It's our job to look out for each other and work together. And so if you have a hard time relating to different people with different gifts, I understand that. Sometimes it's just, it's just hard. We don't see eye to eye or we, we may not like a characteristic of somebody. I, I understand that. But know that, that it's not up to our opinion. We are limited. God has a plan to do this. And so love, a church that loves recognizes that kind of wide variety and that people will have those, those gifts. So stay tuned. Uh, we're going to talk about um, the connection that love is to, uh, to that concept. Okay, let's move on here to the beginning of chapter uh, 13. Our fourth point is... 13, 13, 28. Fourth point. There it is. Protects against pride. I want to establish a principle. This is something you've heard uh, from this pulpit over the last several months. But I want to say it again. It is very possible to look and to act like a Christian, but not be very close to Jesus at all. Now, I'm not trying to get you to be freaked out about whether you're really a Christian. I want you to hear these verses. I want to read these verses again. Because here's where the connection to love really comes in. If I speak in the tongues of man and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So what that warning is, is that there are going to be people who can communicate very, very well in English language or in other languages. They're going to be able to communicate with people, maybe even a heavenly language. And they're going to be able to do that very, very well. The second warning, verse 2, if I have prophetic powers and understanding all mysteries and knowledge. So somebody who can take the word of God and apply it and speak it into your life and do very well with that and has a lot of wisdom and a lot of discernment and a lot of understanding. If somebody is like that, and if they have all faith, so as to remove mountains, so somebody who has this big, bold faith, it's possible that all those things are true, but they have not love. What does it say? It says, I'm nothing. Third warning. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain Nothing. So somebody who gives up their body to be burned, somebody who has a lot of wisdom and can apply the word of God right when you need it, and somebody who can speak eloquently and communicate in the languages of earth. You might think that person's really spiritual, and a lot of times they are. But if they don't have love, love for the body, love for people, wanting to encourage people with those gifts, then it's nothing. 
it's really easy to pick at high profile and public examples of this. But we don't have to go very far in the Akron area. Over the past couple of years, there are a couple of, of churches that have been through this where their leaders have had outstanding public gifts, charismatic speakers, great preachers, great leadership ability. And in many ways, it became revealed in, in a couple of uh, high-profile congregations that those leaders didn't have the love to match the gifts. And it is destructive when that happens. The difference between our spiritual gifts, and I don't mean just leaders, I mean us, all right? The difference between our spiritual gifts resulting in unity and our spiritual gifts resulting in division or destructiveness. What is that difference? Okay, when our difference, when our gifts result in unity and when our gifts result in division or destructiveness, what's the difference? Love. The difference is love. You can have a lot of great gifts, but without love. It's not just a neutral experience, it's a negative experience, and it will actually harm people instead of help them. It's worth nothing. It's not just leaders. Every single one of us must always check our motives as we exercise our gifts, and that we have love and the building up of other people in mind. None of us will get it perfect. It's going to require forgiveness and accountability and walking side by side and celebrating when we get it right and we see things happen. Uh, it takes a lot of work in order to protect against our pride. Okay, and then we get these adjectives. All right, now I'm going to show you a chart in a minute, but here's the summary statement. The last verb is that love challenges. It challenges believers to high standards. All right, put this on a chart for you just so you can kind of get the uh, overall scope of this. All right, on the left you see love is patient and kind and uh, rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Uh, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Okay, it doesn't insist on its own way or irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Now, does it mean that if you we're in uh, line at the bank like I do, and I am always in the line that takes the longest, all right? And you get just a little bit irritable because you know you have things to do, and like, why is this taking? It doesn't mean that you don't have love, all right? It, it means that you're being tempted to sin, all right? We, we have to, the people in our home or people in our church, and we get we get irritable or we get rude with them and, and we say things that we shouldn't say. It means that we need to be aware that we've just hurt somebody instead of help them and we should do what we need to do to make it right. That's, that's love. We don't want the right side of this to be our predominant characteristics. We want these on the right side to be lessening in their influence in our lives over time. That's what happens when God starts to change us. The Holy Spirit gets inside of us and we become more and more like him. Now, I wish there was a magic wand and a potion and a word that I could say and voila, it would all be different. Don't you? I do. My family does. <laughs> all right? A lot of it takes time and development. All right, a couple things I want to I challenge here while we're on this uh, uh, high standards. Okay, one of the ways to me to sum this up 
is that love will avoid negativity. I think the more we think negatively, the more it really impacts us and that we can become uh, like on the right. We can become envious or, or boastful or arrogant. When we're negative about things, we're trying to build ourselves up and we're, we're not as, as um, patient with others. Okay, and so I want to I ask you a question. Uh, this will help you, uh, as you as you think. Okay, do you believe that this is an actual headline from the past couple of years? Akron sees deadliest month in recent history trends along with major U.S. cities. Who believes that's an actual headline? Okay, actual headline, August 1st, 2020, Akron Beacon Journal. Okay, and if you think negatively, you want to think negatively about uh, Akron or about violence around the world, you might look at that headline and go, see, I told you, this place is, all of it's terrible. Okay, now, here's another headline. I want to see if you think this is a real headline. It's been nearly three months since Akron's last murder. Are anti-violence efforts working? Who thinks that's a real, actual headline? It's a real, actual headline. It was from December 28th of 2021. At that point, it had been almost three months since Akron's last murder. Now, I'm not saying that everything is all perfect and wonderful and there aren't violent or difficult things, but that article went on to say that a lot of the violent types of crimes that are tracked are down between 10, 20% or more in recent months. And I'm like, okay, if love hopes all things and believes all things, and I'm praying for my city, I want to hope and believe that, that, that better days may be ahead for the city. Why is it a negative thing for me to believe that? It doesn't mean that I don't think that anything bad happens. I just want to. I just want to believe that that maybe something can improve. I'm thrilled to hear that there hasn't been any life lost in three months. I'm glad for that. The, the headlines exhaust me. I'm sure they exhaust you as well. And so, when it comes to other people, do we think the best of of other believers? Uh, let's start in, in within the family of God. Do we try to think the best of people? Do we believe all things and do we bear things with people? Or do we just kind of go like this when somebody's suffering? Because we just don't want to take on that burden. No. It says in here that if one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, it doesn't mean we jeer and go, oh, well, they paid somebody for that honor. No, it means we rejoice with them. This is, this sounds, I realize it sounds like a go team go speech, like from a coach. But it really is a teamwork, unity, love message. It's, it's what Paul is, is commanding the people to do. And so these standards, boy, oh boy, they, they, they challenge us. I hope that we can hope for the best. I hope that we aren't consistently the way on the right and that God is changing us and making us more and more like the things on the left. So we close today. It's the same challenge from last week. For those of you that were here, you listened to last week's sermon. It's the same one. Why is that? Well, because Paul said that love is the most excellent way. I will show you a more excellent way. This is the best. It's the best way. Why is that? Because God loves you and he loves me. You know that? He sent his son Jesus to this earth to die for sins that you and I should pay for with our very lives. God hates sin so much he doesn't want it in his presence at all. And none of us would have a chance if God was not a loving and a forgiving God. 
He loves us. It is the most excellent way for God to approach us is to love us. And so for, for the scriptures to suggest and to command that we love each other, we do that in, a, in relationship here in our local church. We do that in relationships with other local churches or, or believers around the world. We always want to be in a posture of love where on the left side of that chart we are trying our very best to do the things that love does, and we're asking for the power of the Holy Spirit to change us. If this sounds all very attractive to you, you're listening today and you've not made a commitment to follow Jesus, I would encourage you to make that commitment. Call him up <laughs> and say, Lord, help me out. All right? Help me out. He will respond because he loves you and he sent Jesus to die for you. It's the only way you can find forgiveness in this life. It's the only way you can be certain you'll have a place in heaven is to trust the Lord Jesus Christ with your sin. He loves you, okay? And for those who are believers, that's the challenge, all right? The challenge is, Lord, speak these words into my life. Take that scalpel to my gum and pull that plaque off and show me where I'm not loving so that I can do a better job. I want to represent Jesus better. I want to be more clean in my heart and toward others.